Okay, you know, I, I, I will say uh, one thing that's really uh, become uh, clear to me is that, you know, in this time of the virus that I've taken for granted for many years, I guess, the, the uh, privilege of coming together as a local church and also just to have conversation and, and fellowship with others. I, I can really say that uh, I've taken that for granted. And hopefully at some point we can get back together and, and, and really more appreciate, you know, the privilege that we have to come together as a local church. Today I'm going to uh, take a break from uh, our study of going through the book of Galatians. And I want today to look at a passage in the book of Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. I've been going through this book of Habakkuk at the prison in Kenosha for a number of weeks, and I really feel that this section of Habakkuk 3 is appropriate for this coronavirus crisis that we're going through. Habakkuk was a prophet who lived in Judah. Uh, he lived about 625 B.C., and he and the people of Judah were also facing a serious crisis. Just to quickly summarize the first two chapters so we know where we're at, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Habakkuk cries out to God about the violence and the injustice that was going on in the land of Judah. And then he asks God why God is silent uh, through all of that. In Chapter 1, verse 2, Habakkuk prays there, How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, and yet you do not save. Why do you make me look at iniquity and cause me to look upon wickedness? Destruction and violence are before me, and strife exists, and contention arises, and therefore the law is ignored, and justice is not upheld. Habakkuk is in a crisis that he does not understand, and he also does not understand God's reasons for allowing all this sin to go unpunished in his country of Judah, and he doesn't understand why God does not give him a response. And you know, today we might wonder why God has allowed this virus crisis and all the restrictions that we're under. I personally have wondered why all of the gospel opportunities that our chapel is involved with, things like the Bible clubs, the jails, the prisons, the senior citizens' home, the seven-mile fair, all of these have been shut down. You know, why has God done this? Well, we don't have an answer to that question right now. But in chapter 1, verse 5, God does give Habakkuk a very puzzling answer to his prayer. Verse 5, God says, Look among the nations and observe and be astonished and wonder. I am doing something in your day, and you would not believe it if you were told. I am raising up the Chaldeans, the fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth, to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. So God, God's answer to Habakkuk is basically this. Habakkuk, I am doing something. 
I am raising up the Chaldean army who is going to come into, into Judah and destroy it. So in other words, God is telling Habakkuk, it's bad now, and it's going to get worse. And Habakkuk struggles with this. He, he thinks, how can a holy God who hates sin use the wicked Chaldeans as an instrument to judge his own people? How can God do that? Well, in verse 13, Habakkuk prays, God, your eyes are too pure to approve of evil. You cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? And you know, today we can think, God, why are you taking so many people's jobs away? Why are you shutting down opportunities to give out the gospel? In the first two verses, or in the first 13 verses of chapter 2, God gives Habakkuk assurance that the Chaldean people will be judged for their sins. And then God says in verse 14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We touched on that this morning in, in the breaking of bread meeting. And then in verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple, so let all the earth be silent before him. This is the key issue in the book of Habakkuk, and it's the key for us today as well. God is in his holy temple, and sinful man and the whole universe are below him. God wants me and you to come before him, you know, in silence with our hand over our mouth and really think and contemplate what is a holy God's purpose for this world and its people. God wants to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory, with Jesus Christ, who is the glory of God. God wants me and you to see that his holiness and my sin and my own need for repentance are the things that I need to focus on. Habakkuk is a man who, as we're going to see, he thinks things through very carefully. And after thinking through what God has said in chapter 2, Habakkuk prays in chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianath. Lord, I have heard the report about you, and I fear. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years. Make it known in wrath, remember mercy. This word shigianath means with great emotion, with great emotion. Habakkuk is spiritually drained at this point. He knows that the Chaldean army is going to come and destroy his country, and yet he prays in verse 2, Lord, revive your work, accomplish your purposes, even if it means hard circumstances for us as a people. You know, how could Habakkuk pray a prayer like that? How can you and I pray a prayer like Habakkuk did? This kind of attitude is not something that comes naturally, and today we're going to see how God worked in Habakkuk's heart 
to allow him to pray the prayer that he prayed. I want to break it down this way. First, we'll see Habakkuk remembers God's actions in the past. And then second, we'll see Habakkuk admits his fears. And then third, we'll see Habakkuk chooses to rejoice in the Lord. So we've got Habakkuk remembers God's actions in the past. Habakkuk admits his fears. And then Habakkuk chooses to rejoice in the Lord. First, Habakkuk remembers God's actions in the past. We read there in verse 2 where Habakkuk prayed, Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear. And then if you go down to verse 16, Habakkuk picks up there with that same thought and he says, I heard, you know, he heard God's report and my inward parts tremble. Verses 3 through 15 are kind of a parenthesis in this chapter. Habakkuk says in verse 16, I have heard, or I heard what God said is going to happen and I'm afraid. But even though economic disaster is coming, I will rejoice in the Lord, the God of my salvation. And the reason why Habakkuk can say this is because of what he has done in verses 3 through 15. Habakkuk has thought back on what God has done in the past. He has reflected on God's past faithfulness and God's past actions on behalf of his people. And this is what you and I must do as well. We must think. We must think on God's faithfulness to us in the past. Think of all, the, all of his actions on behalf of his people in the Old Testament and in the, in the New Testament. You know, Christianity is different than other religions because Christianity is based on facts. Christianity is based on what God has done, his actions. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones once wrote, The Bible is not just a piece of psychology meant to keep me happy. Rather, the Bible teaches me that my comfort and my consolation come from facts. God has done certain things, and they have literally happened. God divided the Red Sea. God made the walls of Jericho fall down. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Our salvation is based on facts. It's based on events that have happened. God has acted on the behalf of his people. So don't ever fall into the mistake of saying, you know, the stories of the Bible did not happen. The actions of the Bible did not happen. They absolutely happened. And our salvation is based on actions of God. So Habakkuk starts his thinking in verse 3 where he says, God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Teman and Paran are referencing the people of Edom in the Old Testament. The people of Edom were descendants of Esau, and God had brought down judgment on Teman. I just want to read a couple of verses in the book of Obadiah that bring this out. Obadiah, uh, verse number 8, God says, Will I not on that day destroy wise men from Edom, 
and understanding from the mountain of Esau. Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Teman, so that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. This judgment on Teman had taken place some 200 years before Habakkuk. So Habakkuk here is reminding himself of what God had done in the past. And notice here the word selah. The word selah basically means to pause and reflect. It's used 71 times in the Psalms, and it's used three times here in Habakkuk. So Habakkuk tells us here, pause and reflect. God had given his word that he would judge Teman, and he had done so. Habakkuk is reminding us that God is a God who has always kept his promises. Verse 5 says, Before God goes pestilence and plague comes after him. No doubt this verse is referring to God's plague on the Egyptians in Exodus chapter 12 with the death of the firstborn. Verses 8 and 9, no doubt, refer to God parting the Red Sea for the Israelites to escape from the Egyptians and then drowning the Egyptians when they chased after the Israelites. Verse 9 says, God's bowl was made bare. God's bowl was made bare. God was fighting on behalf of his people Israel. In Exodus chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, we read, The Lord is a warrior, and Pharaoh's chariots and army he has cast into the sea, and he has drowned Pharaoh's officers in the Red Sea. And again here, we have the word selah. God would have us to pause and reflect that he is a warrior who fights and physically intervenes in the lives of his people. Verse 7 speaks of the tent curtains in Midian trembling, referring to the Midianites being afraid of God using Gideon to overthrow them in Judges chapter 7. In verse 11, we have God making the sun and the moon to literally stand still, referring to Joshua chapter 10 verse 12 when Joshua defeated the Amorites in battle and he had asked God for more daylight to finish off the battle and God literally stopped the sun. Verse 13 with its selah would have us to pause and remember that God is a God of salvation. God went forth for the salvation of his people, for the salvation of his anointed. You know, one remembrance that Habakkuk did not have that we have is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. I want to take the time to read that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul writes there, I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Our Christianity, our Christian faith, is rooted 
in the historical actions of what Jesus Christ did, things like his virgin birth, his sinless life, his death, his resurrection, his giving of the Holy Spirit. And since God has acted in the past for man's salvation, we can be absolutely assured that he will complete our salvation by one day bringing believers to himself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, brings this out. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14 says, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus Christ. And then he mentions the trumpet of God in verse 16. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Habakkuk found encouragement and comfort by remembering what God had promised and fulfilled in Israel's past. And you and I, can find encouragement by doing the same thing. So let's remember what Jesus Christ has done in the past and what he has promised to do in the future, like we did this morning with the breaking of the bread and drinking of the cup. Let's go to our second heading, Habakkuk admits his fears. Let's go down to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. Habakkuk writes there, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the, dis the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. One commentator I read said that the first phrase here is more graphic in the original Hebrew. It's literally... I heard what God said, and my bowels trembled. You know, Habakkuk was so troubled that he had trouble controlling his intestines. He was really afraid of what lay ahead for himself and for his country. And you know, we are living in a time of, of fear right now. You know, it's very easy for me to think, you know, if I go out into the grocery store, I could pick up the virus from somebody. Somebody could have breathed on the produce that I'm buying and I'll get infected. You know, we can have all kinds of fears uh, from what we're going through right now. You know, I can be afraid of what the stock market and my 401k is doing right now. A young person can be afraid of, you know, of What's going to happen to them in the future? Am I going to be allowed to go to college? How is that all going to work itself out? You know, all of the uncertainty that we're experiencing right now can really contribute to fear in our hearts. And, you know, I was very surprised at how often the Bible speaks about God's servants being afraid. And I take courage from this, that other servants of God far greater than myself, have been afraid at times. And God worked with them through their times of fear. Psalm 103, verse 14 says, God himself knows our frame, and he is mindful that we are dust. 
In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, when Jesus was going through agony, anticipating his suffering on the cross, he took Peter, James, and John and went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And three times his disciples fell asleep on him. And Jesus asked them, couldn't you even watch for one hour? And then Jesus also said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The Lord Jesus knows and understands our weakness. He knows and understands that we can be afraid at times. You know, when Paul came to Corinth to preach to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul said there, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul was doing God's work at that time in very difficult and dangerous circumstances, and he was afraid. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11. One more example on this. Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse number 2 says, talking about John the Baptist here, it says, When John, while in prison, heard the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. John the Baptist, who Jesus once called the greatest man ever born to a woman also had doubts. He had fears. You know, fears like, is Jesus Christ really true? Am I here in prison about to get killed for someone who is a phony? Have I thrown my life away? You know, to obey Jesus Christ, to live for Jesus Christ in this world, can bring mocking from the world. You know, they'll say things like, you're throwing away your life for a fairy tale. Well, here, Jesus does not reprimand John for his doubts. Rather, he gives John some encouragement. What does Jesus say? Jesus basically says here, go to the scriptures. Go to the scriptures and see that I am the one who has fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies of who the Messiah would be. You know, Habakkuk was afraid. You and I today might be scared about one thing or another. But if our eyes are on outward circumstances, there will be much to discourage us and bring doubt and fear into our lives. So we need to go to the scriptures. We need to remind ourselves of who Jesus is and see what he has accomplished in the past and look at what he has promised to do for us in the future. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Through perseverance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. So let's hold on to the scriptures and take courage from that. Let's go on to our third heading. Habakkuk chooses to rejoice in the Lord. 
If we go back to Habakkuk chapter 3, let's read verses 17 and 18. It says there, you know, first Habakkuk has said, I'm afraid. My belly trembled. But now he says here in verse 17, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. You know, on the surface, Habakkuk has absolutely nothing to rejoice in. There was going to be no crops, no animals. Basically, there was going to be a full-blown economic collapse. And yet, in verse 18, Habakkuk says, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. And notice his rejoicing is in the Lord. It's in the Lord. This is not Habakkuk being some kind of a masochist who takes pleasure in pain. This is not positive thinking. Rather, it's Habakkuk rejoicing in the Lord because God is a faithful God, and God is a God that is greater than all of our circumstances. Let's look at a couple of scriptures about rejoicing in the Lord. Isaiah chapter 61 Verse 10 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. So I can rejoice because God has saved me. He has given me salvation. When David fell into sin with Bathsheba, he prayed in Psalm 51, verse 10, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. So again, joy is linked with our salvation. Jeremiah could pray in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. God, God's word became my joy and the rejoicing of my heart. So God calls every believer to have his joy in the Lord and joy in the word of God, joy in God's salvation. And I want to ask all of us a question. In what is your joy today? In what is your joy today? Is your joy in your job or your possessions or your house or your family? Is your joy even in something like Christian service. You know, this coronavirus has shown men that they are not in control of their own life. People have lost jobs. They've lost their 401k. They've lost freedom just to move around. People cannot watch sports. There's no sports to watch. They can't go to the zoo. They can't go to the theater. They can't go out to eat even and sit down and have a meal. You know, I, I, did, I did notice yesterday, I was reading a newspaper online, one thing that is absolutely booming right now is the marijuana business. Uh, I saw yesterday that 
for Canada and the United States, marijuana uh, sales have increased over 50% in the last couple of weeks. So people are, you know, finding that they can do that. But, you know, here's the big, here's the big one for me. You know, so many avenues of Christian service have been shut down, whether it's the Bible club at schools, you know, that's uh, Brian and some of the others do. The jails and the prisons, there's no visits, no church services allowed. Things like the seven-mile fair have been shut down where we have a gospel booth. The work at the senior citizens' home have been shut down. You know, why have all these things happened? You know, young people's plans for school and their careers are kind of on hold. How are they going to graduate from high school? What are they going to do to figure that out? Habakkuk learns here that if his joy or his treasure was in things like fig trees or grapes on the vine or olives or sheep or cattle, that kind of joy, that kind of treasure could be taken away very, very quickly. The only joy and treasure that endures all things is our salvation and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Habakkuk here in verse 19 finishes up by saying, The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hind's feet or deer's feet, and he makes me walk on my high places. You know, a few years ago, I, I was up in Alaska backpacking for several days with my nephew, Michael. And we were standing alone uh, alongside the Yukon River watching some mountain goats come down the edge of a mountain. And Michael said to me, there's no way that those goats are going to go down that cliff and then through the river and then up the cliff on the other side. But you know what? They did. And they went very sure-footedly and without even slowing down. And the next morning, Michael and I, you know, walked along the river right past the, you know, those cliffs that the goats had come down and gone up. They were very, very steep. And I remember saying to Michael, if we hadn't seen those goats make that crossing, I never would have believed that they could have done what they did. And here Habakkuk says, God has made my feet like hinds feet, and God has made me able to walk on my high places. For mountain goats, being on high is the place of safety. Predators cannot reach them there. And you know, when God takes away our figs and olives and cattle and sports and 401ks and so on, he wants to push us up to the heights. He wants to push us up to a place of safety. If my joy and if my treasure is in earthly, temporal things, I'm in danger and I don't even know it. And God, my loving Savior, wants to push me to the place of safety, to push me up to the heights. And you know, I think unfortunately for, mo for most of us, it's only when our earthly treasures are taken away or put at great risk or reduced, it's only when our busy daily routine is stopped abruptly by God that we really stop and think, you know, hey, 
I need to lay up my treasure in a different place. I need to lay up my treasure in a more secure place. So let's use this uncertain time that we're in to really look into our own hearts and honestly determine, you know, where is my treasure? For what world am I living for? What world am I building up my treasure? I'd like to close with one more scripture in Psalm chapter 66. Psalm chapter 66. I want to read verses 10 through 13. Psalm 66 verse 10 says, For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, and yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips uttered and my, and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts with the smoke of rams. I will make an offering of bulls with male goats. Selah. So here the psalmist describes being brought into a net, bearing an oppressive burden, and he mentions men riding over his head. He mentions going through fire and water, and yet he could still say, God has brought me into a place of abundance. You know, how could the psalmist say that? Well, what was the outcome of all his tribulation? Verse 13 says, I will come into God's house with burnt offerings. God wants to use the hard and difficult situations in our life to provide us with material for sacrifice, to bring us to the point where we really appreciate him for who he is alone and not just for any blessing that he might bring into our life. Elizabeth Elliot wrote in her book, These Strange Ashes, she wrote there, when our earthly things and earthly distractions are stripped away and all we have left is our relationship with God, that is when God can teach us. Then God can come in and really change our hearts and give us a heart that can really offer him the praise and worship that he is so worthy of. So if God strips away you know, those things like the olives and the grapes, and I am forced to look to God and be occupied with him, then I come to a place of worship and sacrifice that I otherwise would not have been brought to. You know, um, I do pray that the, that the time of this virus goes away, and I pray that it, you know, will go away as soon as God would have it to go away. But let's use these days to remind ourselves of God's promises, remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. Let's own up to the sin that we have in our own life. And let's allow these days to purify our hearts and our attitudes. Let's pray. Our God and Father, again, we thank you so much that we can come together even in this virtual way. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you that you are 
a God who loves us, who cares about us, and who has acted uh, for our salvation. We have the record of your faithfulness in your word. And we pray that uh, in these times of fear and uncertainty, that we might not uh, be occupied uh, so much with uh, the circumstances around us, but that we might look to you and see your greatness and your faithfulness and your promises to us in the future. We would ask uh, that we might look into our own hearts and uh, confess any sins, uh, confess any attitudes that we have uh, that are not right. We pray that we would allow you to push us up to those heights, to push us into a deeper and a closer relationship with yourself, because this is where true joy and rejoicing can come. Again, we thank you so much for this time we've had here uh, today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.